Well, would you please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10. And as you're turning there, uh, Covenant Kids, have you ever had one of those moments in your kitchen when you had a bowl, maybe some cereal or soup, that accidentally slipped out of your hands and fell on the ground? What if that bowl shattered? What would you do in that moment? Hopefully you'd go get mom and dad, right? Because those are sharp objects all over the ground. And what would they do? They would clean it up and they'd probably take the bowl and they'd sweep it into a pile and throw all the pieces away. But what if they took all of those small, sharp little shards and grafted them back together? What if it was a restored bowl that could be used and full of water and life? Would you draw that bowl Would you think about that image as we're preparing to look at this passage? Because in this passage, we're going to see the work of our Savior to come to take that which is broken and shattered and in pieces and unite it all together under one Lord and one Savior, the Lord Jesus. Would you draw that picture as we contemplate God's word this morning? Listen. To God's word, his holy inerrant and inspired word. Paul writes, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before your word, Lord. We come in humility knowing that you would send your own son to be a man of sorrows so that we might become a people of immeasurable joy. And we ask that you would lead and direct our time as we seek to know you more, to be led by your spirit in our lives and to be conformed to the image of your son, who is transforming our world, undoing that which is broken and uniting all things to their proper place under you. Lead us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many years ago, um, when I was a kid, my family took a trip to Chicago. And uh, in that trip in Chicago, we went to the Art Institute of Chicago uh, if you've ever been there, it's a very big, beautiful building, and, uh, but it was a cold and blustery day, uh, as Chicago is off to be. And so we were, I was running inside to get warm. And as I was running up the steps on the left, I remember seeing this ugly, what I could only describe as a wolf head, but I, I couldn't even tell you what it was. Uh, and I was running upstairs just to get warm, and I hear as I get to the door, my dad start yelling excitedly, come here, come here, you've got to see this, you've got to see this. And I thought, he's looking at that ugly wolf statue head. What's he, what's he looking at? And, and so when I looked and went down to find my dad, he wasn't on the street, he wasn't where you would think to be to look at this sculpture. 
He had gone around to the very side of the, of the, of the sculpture, placed off the beaten track, not where you're supposed to go, not where a normal bypasser would go. And when you came and looked at it from this, this one spot, all of the pieces of the sculpture aligned and this beautiful silhouette of a woman could be seen. The clear design of this artist, of this sculpture, uh, sculptist, was to make this beautiful sculpture of a silhouette of a woman, gorgeous. But most people would walk right past it and think it's an ugly wolf head. You see, the apostle Paul in this passage, he's excited, much like my father was excited, to help the Ephesians, the people of Ephesus, understand the truth of what God is at work doing. Because he knew this city in Ephesus, he knew that they didn't have an understanding of the design of God's world and the broken parts that had pulled away from who God was and God's intended purpose. Ephesus, you see, Paul knew this city. He had ministered in it, and he knew that this was a city of great wealth and great entertainment. There was everything you could possibly want you could be found in Ephesus. They had horse chariot races. They had a massive amphitheater. Uh, they had gladiatorial arenas, all the entertainment you could want. And they had this amazing temple, massive temple to Artemis or, or Diana, as the Romans referred to her. Massive, with all sorts of pagan worship, cultic prostitution. You could get anything you wanted in Ephesus. And Paul knew that that desire of their hearts, that longing of their hearts, could never be satisfied by anything that they could see in that entertainment and by their religious practices. In fact, uh, there was a Roman poet when he was looking at the downfall of Rome that he saw coming, the, the, the degradation and decaying of Rome, he saw Caesar and what Caesar had to offer. And he recorded a poem in which he used the phrase, all that Caesar has to offer is bread and circuses. Forms of escapism. That's all Ephesus had in and of itself was escapism. Bread and circuses. And Paul is excited in this passage. He's excited to share this letter with the church in Ephesus because he knows God's at work to undo all that is broken, the great reversal in the world, to take the broken pieces and mend them in Christ. And you can see his excitement in this passage. If you look in the broader section, you can see his repetition of what his focus is, is, is on, the hope that he has, the joy that he has is in Christ, in him, in Christ, in him, repeated over and over throughout this first section. Because it's in Christ that we find an undoing of the fall, of the broken, sinful patterns, the decaying places in the world of death and destruction Jesus is at work to bring healing and restoration and union and peace. God is at work. And Paul's excitement is overflowing in this passage. He's excited to know that one day God will make all things new. That he will, he will bring redemption 
to the ends of the earth. But this people, this city in Ephesus, they're awaiting the news, the excitement. The enslavement that they have to the patterns of sin and death will be undone in Christ. And right now, they are full of bread and circuses. They don't know their creator nor his purposes, and they're walking around in a city looking as if the statue next to him is an ugly wolf head. Paul is helping this church understand the purpose of the creator. And where Caesar is simply trying to appease his citizens, to keep them quiet, to keep their bellies full perhaps, to live another day. It's the Lord God who's actually building up his table, who's inviting people, pulling seats and tables together to welcome and bring more and more of his adopted children around his table in love to establish relationships with those who are far off and lost. God is at work to bring them to himself. His great mission, restoring the lost and welcoming those who are far off to his feasting table. And what we see at the beginning of this passage that we're looking at this morning, again, Paul is excited, looking to in him that the great reversal of the patterns of sin and death will be one day done in Christ because Christ redeems according to his grace. Look with me in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Jesus, we as God's people have full redemption. This is the complete work of God, a work to set his people free from slavery. That's what redemption means, is to, to be a liberator. It's what God consistently does with his people throughout the history of Israel's existence. He's promised to bring his people out of darkness, and he does this time and time again, whether it's the slavement to Egypt, he liberates them, he redeems them. Or whether it's the patterns of the wicked kings who bring patterns of sin and death, or even the exile in which they've been enslaved again, God intervenes to bring his people out of enslavement. And of all of these patterns that God is at work doing, it's not just to save them from the political landscape of the day. It's actually to restore their relationship with him. God is at work building up his people and drawing them to himself because he wants to be near his people. He wants to redirect them from the patterns of the sins of the world, from their own sins, from death itself. His great mission is to one day, in Christ, do this and do it through the blood of his own son. That's what Paul writes. It's not just redemption, but it's a costly redemption. The redemption of the blood of his own son This is why we proclaim the crucifixion. 
the crucifixion because on the cross of Christ, our hearts and our lives are confronted. On the cross, Jesus was condemned. He was tortured, sacrificed because of my sins, because of your sins. And this work, the shedding of Christ's own blood, he embraced in love for us knowing that he would endure the wrath and rejection of his father, the place that we deserve, so that our trespasses would not just be partially forgiven, but completely wiped away. The redemption that Paul is referring to here, it's, it's large, but it includes the complete forgiveness of our sins. You see, in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, there were uh, ways that God had instructed his people to find this temporary forgiveness, a forgiveness that pointed to Christ. But if you remember that passage, you would, they would take animals and slaughter them, take blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And then afterwards, the, the priest, the high priest, would take another goat, a scapegoat, and he would put his hands on the scapegoat's head and he would confess all of the sins of his people and he would send it out into the wilderness never to be seen again. That's how far Christ's covering, his blood is for his people. You will never see your sins again. They have been lost into the wilderness because of Christ's saving work. This is what Paul wants the church to understand and to know. Even in preparation to the, 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 the big work that they're going to have to do in Ephesus, it begins with the work of Christ. His complete atonement, his sacrifice, and the forgiveness that he brings. And Paul knows that this is not just uh, in, in measure of a, of a humble, bare minimum standard. This is according to the grace and the riches of the king of the, of the universe. If you see in verse 8, it says it's, he lavished this upon us in all wisdom and insight. God doesn't hold back. He doesn't hoard his riches. He pours them out on those he loves. If you were to understand more and more of your sin, the way that God sees our sin, the fullness of it, you'd be seeing more and more of his grace to cover you. That he lavished his grace out on you in love. This is a word that reflects the love of God for his people. And Paul qualifies this, that it, it actually comes not from human wisdom, not from my wisdom and my insight, but God's divine wisdom and God's divine insight. It's important to understand that because we often think in our wisdom that we are to live by our strength and our power. In my wisdom, I would decimate my enemies I'd create a world in which I was king and, and reigned in strength and power. And yet in Christ, the wisdom of God, it's not just for the foolish, but for the poor. For the enemies of God, Christ brings in. His wisdom is to shame the wise. To build up those who were his enemies so that they will one day co reign with Christ as Paul writes to Timothy 
Those who were helpless and hopeless are given peace and joy. You see, this isn't our wisdom. This isn't how the way the world works, but is the way that God is at work to heal and bring all things under Christ is to set captives free, to liberate those who are enslaved to sin, who are rebelliously defying their creator, and love them by laying down his own life for them. This is the good news in Christ for you, for the world that's around us. That you no longer need be enslaved to sin and death, but God is at work. That you no longer be defined by the broken parts of the world, because in Christ there is healing. The greatest needs of our lives have been satisfied in Christ Jesus. And you bear those sins, your most desperate need, you bear those sins no more. Christ redeems. Paul also says in this passage, not only does he redeem, he reveals. He reveals according to his purpose, or other translations say it, his good pleasure, his delighting pleasure. God reveals in Christ according to his purposes. That's what Paul's saying in verse 9. He's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You see, our good father, by according to his purposes, or the way that it's phrased, according to his delighting purposes, that which gives the father delight is to reveal this to the world. If you want to hear God's delighting heart, you hear it and see it in Christ. His delight to make known salvation, love. It's what brings us joy. It's what gives us hope in the face of hurt and sorrow. That God is at work to bring relationship and to restore. This is the mysterious or hidden plan that God has had from the beginning. That's why he says in verse 10 that it's in the fullness of time. You see, it's purposed to unite all things in heaven and on earth into Christ. Just like a glass bowl that's shattered Shattered along the floors of a kitchen with pieces scattered into the darkest crevices of a kitchen floor. What we would normally take and sweep and be rid of, God is at work finding, pursuing, to bring together under one Lord. Nations war against nations. We live in this division. We not only have nations, but we have divisions within those nations We have tribes within tribes. We have selfish living inside even marriages. Spouse against spouse, political parties, polarized against political parties, children against children, employers against employees. The earth itself is groaning in division, right? We're hearing about even potential devastation in California through a hurricane. The world itself is divided. But God's great revealed plan in Christ is not to sweep everything away, but to unite. 
by heaven and on earth. What Paul means in this phrase is, is not just the, the spiritual things in heaven, that certainly is true. Spiritual reality and powers, principalities, all things in the spiritual realm are certainly under Christ, but all physical, material parts of the world. God is at work to bring under the lordship of Jesus, to unite back together in his lavish grace and love. God's people have always held on to this hope that one day he would do this. One pastor said it this way in reflecting upon the history of while Israel was living in the light of God's redemptive purposes. He said, behind the madness of this world, there is a purpose that has consumed the people of God, not to be defined or consumed by the wretchedness of history, but to be participants in that great reversal. As we understand the redemption that God has done for us in Christ, as he's liberated us so that we are no longer defined by sin, but defined in Christ, we are to be participants in God's work of making all things new, of restoring that which is broken, of bringing the delight of our Heavenly Father in fellowship to the world around us. Just as he lavishes grace upon us, we must resist the wretchedness of the broken places that impact our lives, that make us want to consume simply bread and circuses to escape from this world. God has called us into this world. He's called us to be reconcilers, to make peace in the world that is so clearly jarred by the broken places of the world that they cannot yet hear him. We are to be his grace in the world. So we press on as God's people to hold fast to what he's at work doing in our lives. To forgive, to pursue unity under Christ. And that's importantly true as God's people together. It is hard. We were talking about this, the pastors were talking about this last week. It is hard to bring peace in a world that's so broken, so confusing at times. It can be really challenging. But the struggle to pursue peace is a work of God's spirit in his people. It's an encouragement to see you struggle with children who do not know their Savior, their Lord, that you've taught them and raised them. It's a joy to see that struggle, that pursuit of your children. It's a joy to see your desire to bring peace to your neighbors when there's conflict. It's a delight and encouragement to see a marriage that is struggling but committed to pursuing one another in love. All of that is not because it is easy in itself for that person, right? The motivation for how we build up and bring all things to Christ The work that he's at work doing is not because it's easy and it's not because we live in a world full of great and good people. It's because we know who Christ is and what Christ is at work to do to bring redemption to the world. I I was walked with a, a dear sister, an older sister for 
who for many years, decades upon decades, had a a broken burden in her family, a, a thing that had happened to her that for four decades, she could not forgive her her loved ones, her family. So significant was that, that sin against her. One day she came up to me as we were praying and praying and asking the Lord to, to help her in this. She came in with joy in her heart. I've forgiven my loved ones. Well, what happened? Did they repent? No. Did anything change in their circumstance? No. But I saw what Christ was doing in my heart. I saw what Christ had done for me in such a way that it expanded my understanding of why I'm to forgive and to let go of the pain because he has set me free from it. You see, we are to be reconciled together as God's people, not just because it's easy and because we have wonderful people that we work with and live with, but because of what Christ is doing in our hearts and lives that we would seek the peace and the reconciliation throughout the world. And from that unity of God's people, as we align ourselves to Christ, not to each other, but to Christ, he is sending us out into the world. Ministries upon ministries to bring God's grace into the hostile, divided world around us. Uh, You have a bulletin with two missionaries to pray for. I would encourage you to contact our missions committee. There are many ways, many ministries our church supports that is bringing the redemption to bear in Chattanooga and around the world. We are to follow him. Follow the Lord into his great mission to participate because we belong to Jesus. This is what God is at work doing, the Lordship of Christ, working to break down divisions in a world that's very divided, he brings down the, world, the, the, he brings down the division in the wall of, of those who are divided by race. That was the big challenge in Ephesus, right? Jewish and Gentile. How much more are we to pursue reconciliation with those who are on other races? How much more are we called to live in light of those who are different from us in economic spheres? And even the male-female distinctions that are challenged in our world, how much are we to bring peace into the world around us? Knowing that's what God is at work doing. To reconcile and bring all things under Christ. This is a hard work for us. It's difficult, but we only do it as we look to Christ. And there are times and seasons when he gives us these amazing movements and opportunities to see how God is, how he's moving in big ways in our city. But oftentimes it's through the slow act of remaining faithful and joyful in the Lord, keeping our eyes fixated on Jesus. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing a hymn. It's a hymn that I would love to tell you has the most amazing backstory and wondrous story of how the author, um, Brian Brian Jeffrey Leach, came to write this hymn. But I would tell you that there's no great, amazing story of coming to faith 
or an epiphany of who God is. Leach, in his own words, would say, I didn't see enough hymns talking about how God defines us as his people. And so one day I pulled out my typewriter and I sat down and in delight of what God is at work doing in the church, I spent all day writing this hymn. In a delight of seeing how God is at work to change and transform those who were once enemies to his adopted sons. And just as he, does, he did that in this hymn, we too, in the day-to-day interactions of how God calls us to live in light of his mercy, we are called to follow. Follow in the delight of our king. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the delight that we have in you. That you've redeemed us. That you've united us to your Son. We pray that you would help us as we seek to rejoice in you. To remain faithful to the work that you've given us. The partnership of ministry of reconciliation in a world that's so divided. Help us that we would be one as you are one. And we ask for your blessing to lead us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.